Amen. He is risen. risen I said he is risen. Amen. I'll tell you what, we put out a text and said, hey, if you can make it to the 9 a.m., would you please come? Y'all listen well. Next time I'll send out a text, bring a large pineapple pizza to Pastor Justin's office. We'll see what happens. Man, it is good to see you all here on Easter Sunday rocking the pastels like nobody's business. And we come here today to declare that He is risen. And y'all struggle, struggle. If you're new here, you're like, what's a weird cult? What do we get ourselves into? The reason that it matters this morning that He is risen is because you and I needed rescue. Amen? That His risenness... It, it, it directly equals our rescuedness. We all needed rescue. And what I want to argue this morning is that we all needed rescued from lies that we believed. I want to give you an example of that. Uh, they, they say that, that Easter is the pastor's Super Bowl. Okay? And it comes with a lot of pressure. Like I have to feel the need to just nail the Easter message. And the lie that I can easily believe is that, that my approval uh, hinges, my, my worth as a person, I should say, hinges on your approval of me. That what you think of me is ultimately what defines me. And my worth can get all bound up in the fear of what other people think about me. As a preacher, I can believe the lie that you're coming in here and just going, man, if you don't knock my socks off, I'm going to go to the Bible chapel, right? Well, fine. They ain't got no bouncy house, right? Because we took it from them. And therefore, my emotional well-being can be tightly bound with this weird perceived pastoral approval rating from everybody else. Was I funny enough? Was I dynamic enough? Did I remember all of their children's names? Which here is a full-time job, thank you. And believing that lie can be exhausting and it's destructive because now I'm a slave to you giving me a thumbs up as a person. We all live in bondage to lies and, uh, that are subtle and deceptive, a, a tomb of lies, if you will. There's good news this morning, church. And the good news is that Jesus' tomb is empty. We'll try it again. He is risen. Promise I won't do that the whole time. Therefore, rescue is available to us from our own tomb. And from this morning's text, I want to make this simple statement that I see is that our God is a God who delights in resurrecting us from our tomb. That our God is a God who delights. He delights in resurrecting us from our tombs. And we've been studying through the book of Acts this spring, and it was just cool the way this lined up, that today's text is in Acts 16, and we see three stories of resurrecting rescue. Three stories of God who delights in resurrecting, doing that, putting His power on full display. So let's look at these three things. We'll be in Acts 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, number one, the slave girl's rescue from the tomb of deceit. Uh, if, if you haven't been with us, in Acts 16, uh, we pick up the story here. Paul is starting his second of three missionary journeys uh, with the gospel in the book of Acts. And he goes along uh, on this journey with Silas. Silas is the Robin to the missionary Batman of Paul. The first place that they go is to Lystra. They pick up his sidekick, Timothy. We're going to see him pop up again in the story. And then they go on uh, to 
Philippi, which is a Roman colony in, in Macedonia. We see Lydia and her family are saved down by the river where they're praying. And then we're going to pick up the story in Acts 16, verse 16, where Paul and Silas are doing some work for Jesus. Verse 16, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. So we meet a girl, a slave girl, who's really doubly enslaved. Because not only is she possessed by an evil spirit, we've got these men who are profiting off her ability to tell the future. Because who doesn't want to know their future? We live in a world, a world where people are enslaving each other, making profit, lining their own pockets by exploiting other people. We see this in obvious ways, horrendous ways, like, like human trafficking. We also see this in subtle ways. How often do we subtly, maybe we don't even think about it, we've befriended that person just because of the social circle we think they're going to get us into. I'm like, yeah, I know Keith Hamilton, president of Alaska Christian College, right? Moving on up. We see demonic activity at play, play here. So the spirit by which she predicted the future, maybe your translation says a spirit of divination. The, the Greek word here was python. Python. So here, what do, we, what do we see? We see a story of a woman who is deceptively possessed by a snake. Come on now. now. We're back in the garden, right? We're back in the Garden of Eden. But the Greeks would have heard this story and known exactly what the author here, what Luke was driving at. Because the Greeks had this mythology, and one of their stories was about a python uh, who, who was a serpent, and gu he guarded this oracle at Delphi. The oracle was this shrine where people would come from all over to have their futures predicted, to be told what their future would, would, would hold. And as the story goes, the mighty Apollo slays this python, and now he claims that he has the healing power. And he has the power to heal and the power to prophesy. And so from this point forward in that area, if someone was able to heal or prophesy, they would claim that they were channeling the power of Apollo and they were known as pythons. And so this is this girl. So she had the spirit of the python in her. Verse 17, as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she said that over and over again for many, many days. And it says, Paul was greatly annoyed by this. <laughs> you ever had that? Stop copying me. Stop copying me, right? It's just like, get away, right? Now, why does this statement annoy Paul? Like, doesn't it sound like she's actually spitting the truth, right? This is the way of salvation. He's, these are servants of the Most High God. Isn't that true? It sounds true, and, and to a degree it is, but it's actually a beautifully twisted deception. Because for the Jewish listener, who was taught uh, from a young age to abhor anything that smacked of magic or, or divination, they would hear these words coming out of this girl, the, the python. And, and they would be led to believe that these apostles, that the, the message of Jesus from the apostles was actually in league with this girl. And then they would discredit what the apostles were saying. For the Gentiles, the non-Jews that were listening to this, they believe in many gods. So they would hear this python saying, oh yeah, yeah, listen to him. He's talking about God. Now for them, they could insert Zeus or Apollo or anybody else they would have wanted to. So this statement was just for, for the Gentile listener going, yeah, we've heard this before. And you even notice the subtle little crafty way. Did you notice the phrase, a way of salvation? Here's a way to be just one of the many options. This statement is true, but it's brilliantly ambiguous. This is what Satan loves to do, isn't it? He loves to slightly twist the truth. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? Our God, Satan, is the one who loves to twist the truth. And isn't that the best lies? The best lies are actually the ones that look most like the truth. 
There's a slight twist on it. I've seen that in my own life. For 20 years, I was in bondage to the deceiver's lies when it came to my addiction to pornography and masturbation. Sorry if that just made an awkward phone uh, conversation on the way home for your kids sitting next to you. I believed these lies. Man, they're subtle, but they're good. Lies like, Justin, it's not that bad. You're actually in control of this thing. You could stop whenever you wanted to. Justin, you, you, my, my, my sin, my sin is worse than anyone else's. And if I, if I came out and told somebody about this, they would reject me. They'd be disgusted by me. They'd push me away. The lies that, man, there was no hope. That I would struggle with this until I got to the grave. That I'll never get to be able to be married because of this. All these lies infiltrating. And actually, you notice how often the lies in our head are first person? I, I, I. And this is more subtle because it seems like it's coming from my own head. And our, our sin nature and, and Satan, they love to team up. So how did I find rescue? I'll tell you, I can relate to the slave girl in this story in that way. Verse 18, Paul's greatly annoyed. So finally, after days, he turns around and goes, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. What saved the slave girl? Maybe we should say, who saved the slave girl? The exact same person who saved me. The liberating power of Jesus Christ. This was actually the only thing that Paul could have done to show their audience. This is not just another God. God, you don't just line Yahweh up with Zeus and Apollo. There is one God and there is one way to be saved. And Paul is showing that Jesus is greater than Apollo. That he is the greater snake crusher. He is the true prophet. He is the true healer in Jesus' name alone. And notice that Paul doesn't do this in his own name. He doesn't say in the name of Paul. Who's greater than Apollo? Paulo. Right? That's a <laughs> workshop for that one. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, so he wields the power of Jesus Christ. We have power over the spirit of darkness, but only in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is the Easter message the message that Jesus is risen, that he is victorious, the ultimate truth telling snake crusher who defeated sin and death on our behalf. But this is important. Our battle against Satan and, and the powers of evil is not a power encounter. We're not trying to arm wrestle Satan and pin him to the ground and do some spiritual push-ups so that we can knock him around. It's a truth encounter. Notice what uh, 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, Colossians 2 says it this way. In this way, he disarmed, God disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's Satan and his cronies. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Satan was defeated at Good Friday. But notice the way, notice the way that he is disarmed. How is he disarmed? Look at verse 14. God canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. It says, Jesus canceled my debt. Because what Satan would do is he'd come up to it. His weapon was to whisper into our ears, and as we sing, he would tempt us to despair and tell us of the guilt within. God won't accept you. You're a dirty pervert. You're a condemned sinner. And, and on my own, that's true, right? On my own, I had no hope. My story is that I was able to, in the name of Jesus, give Satan a truth punch in the mouth. Yo, Mr. Accuser, I've been forgiven. Kapow! How you like them apples? The lie that I heard from him was that it was better to hide my sin. But you know what I actually found? It was a dirty lie. 
I found freedom in confessing my sin. And what I found was acceptance from Jesus and his followers. There was a power in bringing it into the light. I wasn't met with condemnation. I was hugged. I found a joyful path of recovery, of being fully known and fully loved. And this is what David expresses in Psalm 32 when he says, Oh, what joy, not for those who have never been disobedient, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. He goes on to say, when I didn't confess, when I kept it in, then I was wasting away. But when I brought it into the, the, the forgiving light of God, I found forgiveness, I found joy. Our joy today is not found in the fact that we're not sinners. It's found in the fact that we're forgiven sinners. Can I get a witness from the congregation? I got three, great. So... What's the counter to Satan's lies? It is proclaiming clearly and fully the truth of the good news of the risen Savior. I want to ask you this morning, as we look in our own hearts, what twisted truths has Satan crafted into our brains? What's a lie in your own life that needs to be confronted by the truth of Jesus to be brought out of darkness into his glorious day? And to believe that our God is a God who delights. He delights in resurrecting us from the tomb of the lie. Maybe you're believing a lie in, in your own bondage to sin. Maybe a lie that somebody else in your life is telling you right now. And honestly, we're, just, we're believing it. We're buying it. We're drinking the Kool-Aid. And we would confront the lie with, with the truth of the risen Jesus. The slave girl was rescued from the tomb of deceit. Then we see another resurrection. Paul and Silas are rescued from doubt. Verse 19, story continues. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of authorities. These slave owners were mad because because their, their cash cow just sprouted up Jesus' legs and walked away from them. Now, freeing people will always tick off those who are trying to control them. Like If if there's a woman who's rescued from an abuser, the abuser ain't going to like that. And we see this happening with these men. They're, they're tick, ticked off. Verse 20, bringing them before the chief magistrates, the local leaders. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or, or to practice. So you remember, this is again, they're walking the road of Jesus. Just like Jesus, Paul and Silas are being falsely accused of disturbing the peace. But again, this is a lie There's a kernel of truth here, right? Again, every good lie is a twisted truth. This gospel message was going to call the local people to reject their gods, to totally change their way of living, their wicked practices, and their ultimate allegiance to Rome. Like you and I, we are called to be good, obedient citizens of whatever country, state, or city we live in, but we're going to stir up some trouble. Like we, we, we're going to show that we don't buy the lie of the, the culture around us. And that our first allegiance is not to a flag. It's not to a king or a czar or a Caesar or a president. It's to the king and his kingdom. And that's going to get us in trouble. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Why such severe treatment? They're afraid. They just saw them cast out this evil spirit out of the python. They're going, what else can they do? 
can they escape from jail? Like, we better load that bad boy down with guards. We better put them in the deepest recesses of the prison and bind their feet. In other words, we're going to put you in a place that no other man could rescue you out of. And they were right. No other man could. Wink. Like a magician. You know those guys who love to make it harder and harder? They're like, put me in chains. Then put me in a box. And fill that box with water. And set that box on fire. How do you do that? It's in water. I don't know. They're just make, it, make it hard, right? Make it hard. And God loves showing off in this way too. Like remember when he told Gideon? Like Gideon, your army's too big. You might get the credit. Let's whittle that bad boy down until it makes no doubt who gave you the victory. He takes Israel and he says, I want to put you against the Red Sea, the largest army on earth, hunting you down with nowhere to go. Remember when Jesus told the rich young ruler, he, said, he shows the man, you, you can't, you've got to give up everything to follow me. And, and, and the rich young ruler walks away and the disciples go, what in the world? If this guy can't get saved, he goes, who can be saved? And what was Jesus' response to them? He said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Jesus himself lived that out. And that's what we celebrate this weekend, right? On Good Friday, he was surrounded by Roman guards. He was nailed to a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He was dead. Like, it doesn't get any bleaker than that. He was literally dead. And in that moment, God did what no other human could do. His buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion claimed the grave has no claim on me. He brings Jesus back to life and he flings open the door of hope for all humanity. And what's the reaction of Paul and Silas? These are two men who believe in that risen Jesus. This is insane. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What a better time for a hymn sing to God, and the prisoners, they got an audience, they were listening to them, singing hymns in the middle of the night, and listen, they're not in Andy Griffith's prison, right, like they've just been severely beaten, they look like Rocky at the end of, of each of his movies, they got fat lips and black eyes, and they're going, blessed be your name, and the road marked with suffering, right, they're singing this, and, 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 and this is what we have in Christ, like in the darkest night, and when it looks most bleak, when there's the most despair, we can find light and hope in the midst of it. But this doesn't mean that it's all happy, happy prayers, happy songs. They're not like, hey, Lord, thanks for the flogging, right? Hurt so good. Come up. That's not, we, our testimony is that when we are hurt, when we are afraid, we can cast our cares to him. We're praying to him. When we're in bondage, we can cry out to our God for rescue. When we, 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 we lament to him when we're sad. We plead with him when we feel like we're at the end of our rope. And with tears, we can praise him because we believe he will rescue us. And God answers their prayer in a way that only God could. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's ch chains came loose. We see God doing it once again in a way that only he can get the glory. So maybe you felt like Paul and Silas. You're in the prison of despair or doubt. I, I read this, this line about despairing in the middle of the night as a new parent. 
very differently. And when it's 2 a.m. And, and you've tried everything, and she definitely doesn't look like this, right? <laughs> like, I, I love taking naps with my daughter, but I don't know why she doesn't want to do that at 3 a.m., right? And you're going insane and going, oh, that's why they teach you never, 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 never shake a baby. My patient father in that moment is teaching me, showing me how, how impatient I am, how quick I am to anger, and to say, I want you got, son, I want you to channel that anger, that frustration to me. And then we cry out in the middle of the night, how long, oh Lord, <laughs> when does she graduate? Our God is a God in the dark night of the soul. Our God is a God who delights in rescuing us from our doubts. Because here's the reality, guys. I want to ask our own hearts, where do you find the, yourself in, in the prison of doubt or despair today? Maybe, maybe you, we know, like we know the right answer on paper, right? Like I know that God can do all things. I know it's, nothing's impossible for him. I know Jesus has saved me. But when you're staring down the barrel of, of years of addiction or bondage to a specific sin, when you're looking at a specific relationship that's specifically broken, when you're looking at a, at a specific trial in your life, can, we go, can God really rescue me from that? Can he really heal me in that? Can he really restore me in that? Is his resurrection power really real where it matters the most? But here's the call. It's not just, hey, believe the truth and quit believing the lies. It's not just don't doubt any longer. Because the truth is, we were born in a tomb. That we, we were born into a position that we couldn't rescue ourselves out of. We were dead to God and alive to sin. As we sing, we were lost without hope with no place to begin. And that's what we find in the third point, that we can put ourselves in the jailer's shoes. You and I need rescue from death itself. Because Paul and Silas may have been in jail, but it was really the jailer who needed set free that night. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew that this prison break would lead to his death, that his merciless boss would punish him for letting these guys go. He was a dead man walking. And maybe you or a loved one this morning in specific or subtle ways are wrestling with some of these thoughts. What's the point? Life has no meaning. It has no hope. And the best thing I could do is just end this in the prison of our own mind. Please talk to me. Please talk to somebody. But when the jailer had no hope of rescue, he hears a sound that he would not have anticipated in a thousand years. Verse 28, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. We didn't actually leave. Like, we're still in jail, even though the doors have been flung open. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He sees a light, and he falls down trembling, and he scored them out and said the famous line, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oftentimes in our lives, our personal world has to be shaken by a life-threatening disease, by divorce, by financial loss, by job loss, by hitting rock bottom when it comes to that addiction before we are ready to ask life's most important questions and actually have ears to hear the answer. What do I need to do, God? How can you get me out of this thing? 
the jailer hears and receives the good news of resurrection rescue. Look at verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. So man, what moved the jailer? From the depths of despair in verse 27 to the heights of joy just seven verses later, rejoicing because he had come to believe in God and his entire household. Well, who, who is this jailer hearing this rescue message from? The jailer sees a light and falls down trembling. Do you remember the story of Paul? He sees a light and falls to the ground trembling and also experiences the resurrecting power of Jesus. And what's cool here, Paul doesn't just speak the gospel, he shows it in deed. Because unlike the, the jailer, who, the, the, the jailer's boss who would have mercilessly executed him for, for, for letting his prisoner escape, Paul shows him mercy here. Because instead of saving his own life, he could have been like, jailbreak, let's get out of here. Instead, he stays, risks his own life for the sake of the jailers. He says, I know where my eternity lies, I'm secure. But brother, I'm worried about you. His words and his deeds line up. He was singing hymns and praising God, and they were all listening. But he, show, he walks the walk of his talk. And we have to ask ourselves, man, do my words and deeds both line up with the gospel? Do what, does what I say match the way that I actually live? Because one without the other is going to be pretty meaningless when it comes to our witness. But here's the beautiful thing. Our testimony is not about how awesome we are. Because here's the reality. Like, how many times a day do our words not line up with our deeds, right? If it was our ability to nail that, we'd all be without hope. Our testimony is exactly how jacked up we were and how awesome our rescuer is. That First Timothy, Paul said, man, I know, if God can save me, I was persecuting Christians. I'm the chief of all sinners. And if God could rescue me, who can't he rescue? He said, I used to throw people in jail, but I was the one in bondage. Now I'm in jail, but I'm the one who's free. And our God is a God who loves, he delights, again, in resurrecting us, but for a, for a purpose, even outside of ourselves. The, one of the reasons he resurrects us is to send us out so we can be a part of helping others be resurrected as, as well. In fact, one of the things we see over and over again in the book of Acts is that God rescues lives in order to rescue other lives. That God changes lives to send them out and help change more lives. To save lives to help save more lives. And the witness of Jesus' resurrection, they go out into the world and they sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and invite other wretches to the source of freedom. And that's the same thing we're doing today. And I've found one of the most effective tools that God has put in my tool belt is my own testimony of God's rescue. Rescue me out of specific sins like my addiction to pornography. It's not showcasing my strength, right? It's showcasing my weakness. But in my weakness, I find him strong. And my honesty as a sinner has freed many other sinners to also be honest. That's one of the most powerful tools that God's given me in my ministry. I've seen it in my own parents' life. My parents have most beautifully displayed the gospel to me, not by nailing it every time as, a, as parents. Don't tell them, but they didn't always nail it. <laughs> Just between me and the 250 in this room. They failed in some massively specific ways. I want to tell you what, the way they displayed the gospel to me was in their, their ability to repent and to forgive. 
We all need rescue. Verse 33, look at the story of the one who was rescued. The jailer took Paul and Silas that same hour of the night, middle of the night, and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. They had a midnight baptized. Don't call me at 1 a.m. for a baptism. He brought them into his house, set a meal before... I'll be up, actually, these days. He brought them... He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. This is incredible. Just like Paul was transformed by God to help the jailer become transformed, look at the difference already in this baby Christian's life. He welcomes these guys in, washes their wounds, and invites them to the supper table. And this is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, how Jesus cares for his body through other members of his body. I love Chrysostom. He says it this way. Uh, he, he, talking about the jailer, he washed and was washed. He washed Paul and Silas from their stripes and was himself washed from his sins. But notice here the text doesn't say, in order to get saved, we said, what must I do? Paul and Silas said, well, take us in, wash our wounds, feed us a meal, right? Then God will be like, okay, this is a good guy. We'll save him. That's not what happened, right? He, he does that. And then notice what it says, because he did those things and rejoiced. Why? Because he had come to believe in God. Like this is the result of a changed life. The love of God and Jesus now controls him, compels him. And here's the resurrection truth this morning, brothers and sisters and friends. We don't change so we can be resurrected. God doesn't say, if you clean up your act, if you get it all figured out, get all your ducks in a row, then I'll raise you from the dead. That's not the good news we're declaring this morning. The good news we're declaring this morning is that we are resurrected so that we can be changed. What we see here is God raising those who were dead and then joining the dead into an aliveness, a oneness with Jesus so that we can become from the inside out loving like our Father, like the Son, and like the Spirit are loving. That's the good news. We have freely received God's love, and now we can freely give it away. He has freed us, rescued us, and give us, given us life, and now we can go declare that message of rescue and freedom and life. This is the good news that we declare on Easter Sunday. It's good news. And two things here at the end. A, it's good news. Do you ever stop and think about that? This is good news that we're declaring. The good news is not, hey, stop believing those lies. Hey, stop doubting. Hey, believe more. Hey, hey, be nicer to people. That's not good news. That's good advice. And yes, we should do those things, but that's not, good. that's not good news. The good news is that Jesus is alive. The good news is that our King reigns. The good news is that our Savior lives. The good news is we are free, that death was arrested, and now my life can begin. Amen? The good news, because here's the reality. We can't, by definition, just stop believing the lies. It's deception. It's called deception for a reason. If we knew we were being deceived, it wouldn't be deception. Like if I told you, hey, look out for your blind spots. But wait, how can I? They're blind. Okay. We are in bondage to our own desires. You and I wanted to believe those lies. We are corrupt to the core. That, that oh, The good news is not just alter a few beliefs, modify a few behaviors. We needed a completely new heart. And the good news is that God did what we could never do. The good news is that we were buried in the tomb, that we were deep in the prison like Saul, that, we were, that our feet were in the stocks, that we were dead. What can a dead person do? Nothing. We needed someone to revive us. 
Only God can make the earth quake. Only God can open them prison doors and set the captives free. Only God can raise the dead, and therefore only God is worthy to be sung to in the dark night of the soul. It's good news, but it's also good news. It's good news. Our God, what do we say? Our God delights in resurrecting sinners from their tomb. He, that's the good news part of it. He delights in it. He's not like, oh man, I'm disgusted by you. I'm disappointed in you. Here, clean yourself off, you filthy animal. He's a father whose heart aches for the prodigal to come home, and he runs to us every time we return to him. That our God wants a healthy, loving relationship with every single one of us. No exceptions in this room. And so he delights to send us an invitation to the table. He says, come and I'll wash your wounds. I will clean you up and give you party clothes. And I'll pick up the tab. The bread and the cup are on me. And we're going to celebrate that here in just a moment. I'm going to ask you this morning, have you accepted the invitation to resurrection rescue? Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father God, we know in a room this size, there are those who are still living in the tomb who have never, who have never allowed the resurrecting power of Jesus to become a reality in their lives. Father, would today be that day that they would hear you call their name and run out of the grave. Pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that are feeling that tomb of doubt, that Satan's whispers are loud, that they're caught up in bondage to specific sins or specific brokenness or specific trials in their life. And it's so easy, Lord, to take our eyes off of you and start believing the lies that Satan is chirping into our ears. Would you heal us in those places? Would you raise us up from those places? Would you wash our wounds? And, and, and we, we come back to the supper table to find the feast that is Jesus, that there is resurrection power today that you can do in our lives what no one else, including ourselves, could do. Give us the grace to trust you more in those places. And then, Lord, would you send us out as you have rescued us to go out and sing the song of resurrection rescue so that our community, that Alaska, that the world beyond would know that there is hope in the midst of despair. There's light in the midst of the darkness. That risen Jesus is coming back someday soon. And it's in the name of the risen Jesus that I pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.